welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, thank you so much, Rena. Um, hello, everyone. My name is Chris. I'm from Rhode Island. Uh, I am 25 years old, and I am a sexaholic. Sobriety date, February 16th of this year. Um, the past uh, couple of years, I have taken to giving a label to the year ahead. So new year, new, the new year will roll around and I'll, I'll give a label to the year. I don't, I have no idea what this label is going to mean, but it's just, that's just what I like doing. 2017 is when I started it. It was a year of change. 2018 was evolution, which is just fancier change, but you know, it had worked out. 2019 was prosperity. 2020 was infinite possibilities. And I'm still kind of kicking myself for prophesizing that one. But uh, 2021, I told myself, was going to be a year of new horizons. I had just got accepted to grad school, just bought myself a brand new car, uh, just started a brand new job. And, you know, everything just seemed to be really falling into place. But I didn't realize how much was going to be changing in my life. Um, From my early childhood, fantasy has controlled my life creatively, romantically, and sexually. Um, I was a creative writing major in school and I'm currently writing a manuscript right now. And, uh, you know, I found that my lust actually really began to get in the way of my creativity and I'll get into more of that later. Um, but as an only child, um, I grew up with very few friends and, you know, I made myself imaginary friends and I was quite content with that. Um, that's where my, uh, my isolationism really began to start. Um, my parents would, you know, had, had given me a Game Boy for Christmas one year and I would just be glued to that screen through family gatherings and whatnot because, you know, my parents didn't really want me to, uh, to be hearing all the rabble of my, of my very Italian family. Um, and I don't blame them as I got older, I finally understood what they were talking about, but, uh, I would be immersing myself in video games and cartoon worlds. And I would befriend the fictional characters in these worlds. And basically, I would become the hero in, in every scenario I could think of. And I was admired by all of them. And, and just that that was my fantasy. That was my world. And I guess that's really where my false pride began to uh, start. Um, I was about eight years old when I, when I had my first romantic fantasy um, of a girl in my class. And I, I remember uh, it was it was from a dream that I had. And. 17 years later, I still think it's like one of the best dreams I've ever had. And I, and at the end of it, I fell in love. And that's, I think the first time where I, when I began to find romance as a solace in life. Um, unfortunately, so when I was around, uh, I want to say nine and a half, ten, 10, um, I had some neighbors across the street, a brother and a sister. Uh, the sister was a little, little less than a year older than me. So she was around 10 and a half, 11. And the brother was close to 15 years old. Um, the sister, she and I, you know, we grew up together for a while. And then um, one, uh, she began to act bizarrely. Um, 
I was, I'd be in a room with her. She would, she would close the door, turn her back to me and change her clothes in front of me. Or she would go to her dresser, pull her underwear out of her dresser, throw them at me, shove them in my mouth. So like, she would just be, you know, play fighting, but I had no idea what was going on. And at some point she even like pulled her pants down and showed me her butt. And I'm just like, well, I don't understand what's going on here. Um, and unfortunately, a short time later, uh, I was alone with her brother and, um, well, he, uh, he, he sexually abused me. And um, the trauma of that event, honestly, wasn't, I didn't even realize what happened until about 10 years later. I, uh, I honestly thought that, oh, okay, this, this doesn't feel right. I feel like I did something bad. I still believe in Santa at this point. And I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm going to be on Santa's naughty list. And I'm going to get coal for Christmas. And, you know, Christmas came around. I got some pretty awesome gifts, no coal in sight. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I'm fine. And uh, I just swept that memory under the rug. But it wasn't until I was talking to one of my coworkers um, about four or five years ago, and she was confiding in me about her um, sexual abuse, that it began to click in my mind that, oh, that happened to me. And, you know, even now I'm still trying to figure out where I'm, where I am with that because that my abuser ended up dying in a car accident about six years later. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, still working on that. But, um, so because of that event, I, uh, I discovered masturbation, um, shortly after I began masturbating about two or three times, two or three times a day. And I found myself, um, sexualizing, the cartoon characters that I had befriended and become immersed in, the, in their worlds. Um, of course, like these characters were around my age, 10, 11, 12. And um, I uh, just definitely began to have a curiosity, a heightened curiosity of female anatomy. And as I entered into middle school, I, um, it reached a, a fever pitch. And I, I went home one day, I was on my mom's laptop playing a game. She took the dogs out for a walk. It was, I still remember the day it was, extremely dark downpour thunder and I typed naked girls into Google and just clicked on the first link that popped up and my curiosity was definitely satiated but I was not prepared for everything that I saw on that site and uh, I, I after a few minutes I closed it out cleared the history went back to what I was doing and uh, I went I the next day after school I went right back to the computer and I wanted to go back to that site again and from then on I was hooked um, so I, I began fully sexualizing the cartoons that I watched, um, finding porn, uh, like artistic representations of these cartoon characters. And once that, once I began re to realize that I was attracted to my peers as well, I began sexualizing them too. Um, that girl that I had my first romantic fantasy about, which was about five years prior, uh, I still remember the first fantasy I had of her when we were 13 years old. And that still, that bothers me greatly. Uh, it's like burned into my skull. And, um, though I had a lot of friends throughout middle school, I was bullied a lot and that drove me, uh, far more towards isolation. Um, my parents had given me an iPod touch for Christmas and this thing had, you know, access to the internet and I had a computer in my pocket and it didn't take long for me to realize that I could use it to watch porn. And, um, it wasn't long before I found, at this point, I'd, I'd only been using images and GIFs, but uh, it wasn't long before I found my first explicit porn, uh, porn videos, and that just accelerated my addiction greatly. Um, so by the time I started high school, I was using porn every single night, and um, 
my freshman year, you know, there was a big pressure to make a name for myself, and that only made my isolation worse. I uh, was watching a lot of web shows on YouTube that had a ton of adult humor and just were extremely immature and crass, and I, I began to emulate the jokes from those shows, and I would be repeating them constantly, and, um, you know, a lot of sexually inappropriate jokes that I'm honestly surprised I still had friends by the end of that year. Um, I began to develop uh, a pseudo god complex, and I like to imagine myself as this as this alpha male whom all all women wanted. And I was really beginning to create this um, this perfect harem in my mind of classmates, peers, um, uh, teammates, and sports, whatever you know, anywhere I could get that lust hit. Anyone who I knew that I was attracted to, they were they were fair game, and I began. I began to crave sex from everyone, but I had no confidence to pursue it. My, my confidence, my, what was just absolutely in the toilet. I had social anxiety, um, and just complete general anxiety. And I never knew why until really I get, I got into recovery. Um, I was, I'm six foot two and I, I hit that height pretty quickly. So I used my height, my advantage in crowded hallways uh, of a high school of 1600 students. We were packed in like sardines and, you know, my, uh, I had long arms and I would just kind of bump into people just to try to get a quick touch. And um, I began to feel exhausted every day. You know, I mean, of course, it didn't help that I was I was up late, you know, midnight, 1 a.m. watching porn before I had to be up, be up at quarter or seven for school the next morning. Um, but because of that exhaustion, I was isolating even more from friends, from family, from social events. And if I even did be, if I even was social at any point, I would go home with my social battery drained and reward myself with porn to recharge. Um, I began to really lose my connection with my family. And, um, you know, my dad does so much work around the house. And every time he asked me for help, I would just moan and groan because I was exhausted. I just wanted to play video games all day. And, you know, I just, I was a brat. I was a major brat. And, um, uh, so I really, and I really began to find solace in my romantic fantasies as, uh, as the years went on, I had a huge crush on this one girl. And, um, I pictured the picture perfect relationship with her. We were so happy. We had an amazing family, just, you know, absolute happily ever after fantasy story. And I finally gained the courage to ask her out. And she said, yes. And so I went home, I bragged to my friends that I got a date and then I would, um, constantly talk to her over Facebook or something and just try to strike up conversation and talk to her more. And, you know, I had this picture perfect relationship in my mind that I'd been playing over for over a year. She didn't have that. And eventually she just ghosted me and I lost a friend and I don't blame her for doing that, but, uh, you know, it still hurts. Um, it still really hurts. Um, and that kind of triggered a theory in my mind as the years went on where, if I had any sexual fantasy about a girl, I lost any hope of a platonic or a romantic relationship with them because I, the way I viewed them was just completely corrupted. Um, by the time I started, uh, by, by the time I finished high school, I started that, uh, my first job. Um, it was a retail position that I, that I was in for almost eight years. I actually only just left this past March and, uh, I began casually flirting with my classmates and my coworkers. Um, I would, uh, 
I gave massages whenever possible and I was really good at it. So, you know, I'd give a massage to girl one and, you know, she would say, oh, this feels so great. And then girl two would be like, oh, hey, I want one. And girl three would get in line and I would just be, you know, relishing this, this connectaholic um, inside me that was, you know, able to have this physical touch. And um, I really, I began to have this false pride of believing that I could get a girlfriend whenever I wanted to, but I just chose not to. Um, by the time I entered into college, I, you know, a lot of my fantasies began to decline because I didn't have as many, um, objects of my lust. Um, so I began to focus on smaller pockets of girls in class and more so on my coworkers, um, as I had been there for quite a few years at that point. And, uh, I had four prospective relationships throughout high school, uh, sorry, college. And every single one of these, uh, women said yes to my advances, every single one. So I had, I had the chance to, to have a relationship. My addiction prevented me from doing that every step of the way I got the yes, that was the hardest part, but I was never able to follow through. And, um, it was around the time I was, I turned 19 that I really began to feel that awareness of wanting to stop. As I said, I was a creative writing major. I'm working on, I'm working on a novel and, um, Porn began to get in the way of my writing. I would take my laptop up to my room before I went to bed and I would plan on doing some writing and I would do that for a while. But I'm like, ah, oh, you know what? I'll do a little writing, watch some porn and then do some more writing. But then eventually that turned into, all right, I'll watch some porn, then write. And then it turned into, oh, wait, I watched too much porn. I need to go to bed. And that just got completely in the way of my, uh, of my creativity, uh, I began journaling and I'm just like, all right, you know, I need to, I need to figure out what's going on here. I need to, um, I need to get to the bottom of this. And I refused to believe that I was an addict. I just, I just I'm like, no, I'm not a porn addict. It's just a bad habit. Uh, and I can kick this, I can do this. And I, um, in my journal, I referred to the addiction as lust. And I, I'm laughing at my at myself from six years ago because I, I, I had the problem right there, right in front of me. It was lust, but I was just using that as a cover because I didn't want to be an I didn't want to be an addict. Um so uh, around this time I had a God moment and it was uh I had this calling that's like, you know what, it's time to tell my parents. I I had hid this addiction from them for over a decade. It was time to come clean. And I told them and they were very accepting, you know, they, um, and they were, um, of course they were incredibly distraught. I heard my mom sobbing later that night and I just felt like my heart just broke that I feel, I felt like I just let, let them down. Um, but I started counseling and, um, you know, at, at first it was good, but I wasn't being honest with my counselor because I wasn't being honest with myself. And it wasn't until, you know, this past year that I was finally able to be honest with him. Um, and, uh, of course it turned into, instead of from, um, talking about my porn addiction, it turned into talking about this one girl that I was chasing after for about a year and a half. Um, and she was just stressing me out in every way because I made her my higher power. My romantic fantasy of this girl just consumed me. And I was thinking about her every single day and it, was just the absolute worst thing I could have done. I put her on a pedestal. I was worshiping her. And when everything fell apart between us, I felt like my life had just completely cracked in half. Um, 
this is when I really began to uh, hit my de- hit my downfall. Um, there's a very popular fantasy uh, role playing game that's been out for about a decade now, and uh, I just got into it around this time. And there's a big uh, community around this game that um, will put in mods or uh, modifications to the game. And these mods can you know involve quests and weapons and you know whatever else, whatever you want to add, you can probably add it. And um, I uh, I knew that a lot of people in this community. Uh, would over-sexualize their characters. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. But the lust always wins in the end. And after a lot of research, I stumbled across another community that focused entirely on injecting explicit, hardcore pornographic mods into this game. And I could not help myself. I began to cross a lot of boundaries within this fantasy because finally I could play God I had, I could literally control everything that happens. And I fell into these cycles of researching, downloading, optimizing, and playing this game. And then once I had my fill, once I had my fun, I would delete everything only to come back a couple of days to a week later and do, do it all over again. I went through that cycle about a dozen times over the course of, I want to say, two and a half to three years. And um, I really, I hit my rock bottom with that. I crossed some boundaries that I never in my life wanted to cross. And, um, but the fantasy, the unreal, um, the, uh, the sheer rationale of losing sight of what is right and wrong, I just couldn't, uh, couldn't see through it. I spent the entirety of my last spring break in college playing this game. I almost failed my undergraduate thesis because I was um, just so focused on this fantasy. And um, thankfully, I was able to begin to wean myself off of it. But it was a very, very dark time for me. Um, to uh, speed things up here, I, I that that fall 2018, I... Um, I, had, I got into my first relationship with a brand new coworker. Um, I, she and I, you know, kind of hit it off pretty quickly, and you know, I asked her out. And uh, but from the moment I met her to about halfway through our, our very incompatible relationship, I was fantasizing about her every single day. At first, it was like, oh, oh, yay! I finally have a girlfriend now. This is awesome. But then it turned into, when are we having sex? And that that thought just consumed me. Um, I, and at this time, my definition of relapse was masturbating to porn on a screen. If I was on my computer and say I was looking at sexual content or I was looking at pornography, if I didn't masturbate, I was fine. But if I were to, you know, turn off my computer and an hour later masturbate to like my thoughts, then that didn't count as a relapse. That was my rationale. And, um, at work, because I now had a girlfriend, my confidence went through the roof and my flirtation increased tenfold. I began to label myself as a casual flirt to my female coworkers. I just said, oh, yeah, I just like I just like flirting. That's just what I do. Um, it, uh, and they were fine with it. They actually reciprocated immensely because I was, you know, I was making them feel good. You know, they would walk in the door and I'd say, oh, hey, you know, you look great today. And then they would just be, you know, they would just glow and they would love it. And I would get all that validation from them as well. Um, 
so my first girlfriend and I, we broke up. We were incompatible, but we're still friends now, which is great. And um, I quickly, uh, a couple months later, I met my current girlfriend. And for the context of the meeting, I'm going to call her Joy. And, um, you know, Joy and I, we fell in love very quickly. Um, within a month and a half, um, we were having conversations about sex and just like, you know, what it means to us and the relationship. And I couldn't really tell her my, my true uh my, my truth about sex unless I divulge my porn addiction, which I did. And at that point I was, I think like 90 days, quote unquote, sober, but I really wasn't. And, um, you know, she, uh, she was very, uh, impressed that I was honest with her without, about that. And we began to grow together. Um, our initial intimacy, um, well, basically I couldn't really perform that well. And that led to me fantasizing while we were together. I was beginning to think about my coworkers, while we were together, because for me, that worked, you know, if I'm fantasizing about someone else, so, oh, hey, man, that's, that's, that's good. And that's where we need to be. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that's no big deal. Uh, and she ended up asking me at one point if I was, um, still fantasizing about other women. And I said, yes. And I was crying into her shoulders and just like, and you know, feeling so guilty and, you know, her defect, she was like, oh no, it's okay. It's, you know, it, it's fine. I get it. And then that was it. And then all all the subsequent times she asked me if I was still fantasizing about other women, I lied. I just completely lied to cover up my guilt, cover up my shame. And, um, and her rationale was to give me sexual satisfaction as often as possible because in her mind, I'm a porn addict. I need that. I need that. Um, I need that satisfaction. So if I got it through her, I wouldn't be seeking it elsewhere. But unfortunately, my addiction is one of novelty, and I needed more. So I began to fantasize so much more. Um, my flirting with my coworkers increased immensely, and you know, my rationale was, you know, even though I was in my twenties at this point, my rationale was, oh, I, I was in high school once, so I can I can flirt with the high school girls who are, you know, seven eight years younger than me. And um, there was this one girl who, uh, who you could clearly tell she had a huge crush on me, and. Um, my girlfriend met her. She's like, wow, yeah, she's got a crush on, she's got a crush on you. And, and I, I said to her, I'm like, oh, yeah, I see it, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And that wasn't, that was a bold faced lie because subconsciously I was doing, uh, I was still doing things about it. I was flirting with her constantly because I loved that validation she was get that she was giving me. It's what I craved all through high school, but I never got And Finally, I was getting it, but it was never enough. That God hunger was insatiable. Um, and it got to a point where I had a sex dream about this particular coworker and um, I accidentally blurted her name out in a casual conversation with, with my girlfriend and her sister. And, uh, you know, I had to, I had to lie to get myself out of that one. And man, the shame that I felt was just horrible, but I got through it and I'm like, all right, it's never going to come up again. And well, it came up again. Um, by uh, by the time I was ready to disclose, I had just so much guilt on my heart because my girlfriend was nowhere in my fantasies at all. It was just these other women that I'd been fantasizing about my over my whole life. Um, in my recovery, I I did an inventory of all the women I'd ever fantasized about, and from from my memory and from just trying to figure out who it was over the years, I've fantasized about over 230 women in my life. And, um, I, uh, I lied to my girlfriend about all that. And it eventually just all came out. I told, I just had to tell her, I'm like, I, I said to her face that I don't fantasize about you. I fantasize about all these other people. 
And I can't really remember what much else what happened after I said that, but the floodgates opened and I told her far more than I was intending on telling her. And that guilt just flooded out. She was in absolute shock and I don't blame her for that. And uh, the next couple of weeks were very, very difficult. Um, you know, the, uh, a couple of days later she had said to me, um, I refuse to be in a relationship with someone who is not using their tools to recover. She had just joined SNON and she was like, you need to join a program or we're done. And so I found myself in a, in a porn addicts anonymous meeting and you know, it was great. The, the community there was, was awesome. And I was able to share for the first time and I'm like, all right, this is, this is nice. This is good. Um, but it wasn't until I found myself into an essay meeting that I truly found that I was home. And, uh, when they were talking about lust for the first time, everything clicked together and I'm like, Oh my God, this, this is the issue. This is the issue that's been a part that's been weighing me down my whole life. And, um, I see I'm, I'm getting a bit short of time here, but, uh, you know, where I am in recovery today, it's just so much better than what it was over the last seven and a half months. I found that I have so much more energy than I've ever had in my life. I've got motivation that I've never had in my life. I'm rediscovering passions of, of music and writing, um, that I began to lose over the years just because my addiction had taken over. Um, I had, uh, I've been fish keeping since I was six years old. I've had a fish tank for, you know, for many, many years. And I, um, I've rediscovered my passion for that. And I've just been, I, you know, I can't shut up about, about the hobby and how, um, and for my girlfriends, uh, she just gave away her step 10 in Essanon. She and I are growing so much more like we have grown so much more together in the last seven months than we have had in almost two and a half years of our relationship. And we're still going strong. Um, the, uh, but however, there, one of the biggest things that was happening was um, my addiction was telling me to run away after my disclosure, the guilt, the fear, the shame, all of that was just crippling. And my, and my mind was telling me, you need to go. It's time. Just, just break up with her forget this ever happened, just go. And I refused to, I refused to listen to that voice, but I knew there was some truth in it. And that truth led me to asking my girlfriend for a temporary separation. And, um, you know, she and I talked about it for a couple of weeks before we really planned anything. We met with my counselor together to talk about it. And, um, uh, the end of July, early August, we, we said our goodbyes um, for, for the month of August. And at this point, I had finished my first two steps of the temporary sponsor. And I had, I had my third step started, but I couldn't finish it. I just couldn't find my – I didn't have the will to turn my life over to the care of God. And I, I couldn't figure out why until I said goodbye to my girlfriend. And I said goodbye to her, and that night I finished my step three because I realized that she was my higher power that ever since my disclosure, I was thinking to myself when I was in a lustful situation, I'm like, okay, what is she thinking right now? Even if she wasn't even with me, what would she think about this? And it was never, how is this affecting me? What can I do about this? And once I was finally able to let that go and look to God, I was finally able to set myself free. 
2021 is a year of new horizons, and my motto this year has been per ardua ad astra, which is Latin for through adversity to the stars. And that motto has been carrying me through my through my recovery. Um, thank you all so much for uh, allowing me to talk today, and I will uh, I'll turn it back over to the chair. Thank you so much. That was Chris in Rhode Island. Thank you so much for your service today. And now we're going to go right into some Q&A. But first, Chris, how much time will you have for Q&A? Only up until 1 p.m. or a little bit after? I can go up until 1, and I can give, like, maybe another 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. Okay. After that. All right. So we'll, we'll try to make it count with everyone having brief questions. Here are a few rules of the road for the Q&A. In participation, we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. We also avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing, how to apply the 12 steps and traditions in our daily lives. No cross-talk, please, which means interrupting, giving advice, or criticizing someone else's share. If you feel someone's getting too explicit, you may so signify by saying, my hand is raised, at which point I will consult a group conscience. All right, so folks, press star six to unmute and ask our our speaker a brief question. We'll try to take as many questions as possible uh, before we do announcements. Who would like to be first? This is Hank. I have a question. Go ahead, Hank. Hi, Chris. Uh, Thanks for sharing with us. Uh, That's quite a story, and uh, especially only being 25, you presented it very well. So thank you very much. My question to you is, uh, it sounds like your present girlfriend is very supportive of of you and helping you uh, recover from uh, this addiction. has that always been the the case since uh, you first revealed it to her? I, I I don't remember what you said about that. So if you did, I'm sorry. But uh, could you go over that again for me? Yeah, thanks, Jack. No worries. Um, I, I don't think I did did go into it, but um, yeah. So she has always been very supportive of me. Um, of course, it's very hard for her too because you know we have. Um, some very differing um, viewpoints, you know, because I've been immersed in the porn industry and, and, and just like the sexualization of women my whole life. And she is very adverse to it. Um, and, uh, but, you know, in our first couple of years of our relationship, especially, you know, when I had you know, a lot of guilt in my mind and I, I did like these mini disclosures to her throughout the, uh, our relationship. And she was always very supportive. You know, I mean, she would be uh, upset of course that I didn't tell her immediately, but, she would always be there right at my side um, throughout it all. And um, when uh, actually after our separation, when we got back together, I forgot to mention this, but uh, it felt like no time had passed at all. And um, especially now, like we're still growing together and she is just unbelievably supportive in my recovery. And I, um, I don't think I'd be here without, with, uh, without her support. Thank you, Hank and Ohio, for your question. Who'd like to be next? 
You need to press star six to unmute your line. Hello, I have a question. Sure, name and uh, location, please. Sure. Um, hey, I'm Tom, sexaholic, and um, my question is, I, you know, first of all, thank you so much for your share. Um, I, I noticed you were very rigorously honest about your condition, um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, specifically, you mentioned um, struggling with dishonesty, especially with yourself, and that's something I think I struggle with as well, or at least people have told me that. How did you specifically like get through that? Um, I remember you mentioned it during your um, when you were talking about going to a counselor and not being honest with them uh, during your share. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Tom. Um, so, I mean, I'm still learning how to be honest with myself, and I, I, you know, I pray to I pray to God every day for for the willingness to be honest with myself, so I can be honest with others. And um, when uh, so when I first started seeking counseling, you know, I was just saying, oh, I've got a porn addiction, and I keep watching porn, and I don't know what to do about it. And I wasn't really, I wasn't doing the work that I needed to do to to look deep into myself and like like, okay, well is my masturbation not tied with this? Is the lust not tied with this? Like, you know, I was so blind that I couldn't be honest with myself. And I found that um, through recovery, as I began working the steps, as I'm reading the literature and, you know, just hearing other people's shares, you know, it began to piece by piece unlock all these doors that have been sealed in my mind for so many years. And that really began to lift the veil. And I was able to see like, wow, I've been lying to myself about, about this or that. And I'm was able to, you know, of course, realizing that hurt hurts in the beginning, but once I can realize it and share it, let it out, it loses the power over me. And I can finally, you know, let that weight go. That's been, you know, just taking up so much space in my mind. Um, I hope that answers your question. No, it does. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Tom in Massachusetts. Who'd like to be next? I have a question. Um, you mentioned how your mother was sobbing when you disclosed um, how much you were fighting and struggling. And a lot of people say that it's a, it's a family disease. So do you know of anyone else in your family who struggled like that? Or you don't know because your parents are the only ones you, you told about this? Thanks, Rena. Um, as far as I'm aware, I'm the only sexaholic in the family. Um, I mean, I do know, I mean, my cousin, my aunt, and my grandfather were um, all horrible alcoholics, unfortunately. Um, my, my grandfather was a dry drunk for many years of his life. Uh, my aunt chose alcohol over her marriage of 30 years with my uncle. And um, my cousin, by the grace of God, is 10 years sober in, in AA. Um, so, we, so we do have... Um, we do have addiction in the family, but as far as I'm aware, uh, I'm the only sexaholic. Mm, thank you. All right, let's have some more questions for our speaker today, Chris in Rhode Island. 
Yeah, this is Bruce, Massachusetts. Thanks for the sh uh, share. And just wondering if I, I was in an, on and off the call, just wondering if you uh, have done the steps and or any experience with the steps, and if so, through the white book or however. Thanks, Bruce. Um, so I've only... I've only finished the first three steps. Um, I'm currently um, in the middle of step four, and uh, I'm, in, I'm speaking with someone right now to, um, to lo looking for sponsorship. Um, I had a temporary sponsor for a couple months, and he was able to guide me through the basics of all 12 steps, um, which, which was really, really helpful for me. Um, but uh, right now, I'm still in the middle of my step four, and um, it is spiritual open heart surgery. It's, it's tough to get through. Um, uh, but I, I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Keep working. Thank you, Bruce. Who else would like to ask a question? This is Alex in Moscow. Alex, please come in. Hi, Rena. Thanks, Chris, for your share. A lot resonated with me. I never really thought how I could even do an inventory of all the people that I fantasized over. I mean, that thought never even occurred to me until your share, actually. Um, so that's something to consider. And um, so I, I would like to ask you, um, with regard to the first step, I honestly struggled for some time on step one because I was stuck in the idea that um, it's, it's, it's wrong choices that I made in this area of my life and it's a morality issue and um, it's a lack of willpower so I was just wondering how that thought process worked for you in step one and how you came to realize powerlessness you know from the bottom of your heart um, yeah that's that's my question oh, thanks Alex um, well for starters so in regards to the uh, to my, my fantasy inventory um, it really helped me, you know, kind of dive into the program because I was able to lay out all these names and then I was able to just pray for all of them and just kind of ask, ask God for forgiveness for, for sexualizing them for so many years. And, um, you know, I would just, I just say each and every single one of their names as part of this prayer. And it really, it really, really helped. Um, as far as finding my insanity in step one, um, you know, it was, it was definitely a process, um, you know, going through the questions with uh, the uh, step into action book. I was just, just tried to be as honest with myself as I possibly could. Um, and I can definitely answer your question through the, uh, through the lens of working on my step four, because um, I found myself really shaming my 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 teenage self um that that lost child that's in my mind right now that I've, i'm just trying to trying to rescue um especially in regards to my my uh, uh potential relationships and, and whatnot like i'm realizing all the all the mistakes that i made and i was shaming myself for not having the tools and not having the maturity at that time to um to recognize what, what was going on and um, you know, that I had to surrender that to another fellow to, to kind of open my eyes and like, okay, well, hold on. I'm being way too hard on myself. But, um, once I was able to do that, I was, I was able to see, you know, I'm being insane right now because, you know, the present is the present past is the past. You can't change it. Um, 
there was one moment of insanity that I felt after I finished my step two and I had, um, I had seen a soft core pornographic image online and like, it was, it was enough to send me spiraling. And I quickly took a step away from my computer and like, I was just want to go make myself a snack or something. And my entire body was like, you need to go and see that image again. You need to go look for more. If you don't, you're going to die or something bad's going to happen. And I'm like, holy crap, this is the insanity that I have felt my whole life. Like this, this feeling right now, like, what is this? Like, this is, this is what's been controlling me. And I was able to, um, I was able to contact a fellow. I was able to tell him what's going on and that insanity immediately left. And I was, and I was free from it. And, um, I think that's, that's really the, 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 the best part, best thing with step one, honesty with yourself and others. And that's how you get through it. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you, Alex and Moscow for, that question. We're going to take a very quick pause for announcements and then we'll come right back to the questions. So thank you again for your I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.